everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and that right there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello. Hello, Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Pete Wright. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You had a successful uh, uh, webinar. I did, yes. Ada um, was so nice to uh, invite me to do one of their uh, webinar series. Or just, not series, but just a webinar. Yeah, so yes, an it was event. Fun. It was an event. It was an event. A so fet. we may have we may have some new listeners. Who knows? So welcome. If, yeah, welcome. If you are coming from Ada and listening to us for the first time, yes, welcome aboard. We're glad to have you. <laughs> That's right. Captain Stubings up in the in the top deck there. Talk to Julie. You're a cruise Julie. director. Julie, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gopher, right? Gopher. No, oh, gopher. Gopher. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, as much as uh, our love for the love boat persists, we are going to talk about some ADHD stuff. And it's a tech episode, sort of. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this because, you know, we're going back to school. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, uh, back to school, ADHD, back to school. We had a wonderful guest uh, from Impact ADHD, and she taught us all about what the parent's real job is. And it got me thinking about uh, the tools and technologies and the systems we put into place uh, to go back to school, but to learn stuff. Uh, to improve our memory and to improve our function when studying. And I think it applies so clearly whether you're in school, whether you're going back to college, whether you are at work. All of these things apply to good brain function. And I do have two apps to mention as well in keeping with the technology theme. So that's awesome. what that's what I want to do today. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list. And uh, you'll get a notification in email each time a new episode goes live. And you'll also be notified when Nikki does all these kinds of crazy, awesome uh, ADA webinar events. So if you don't want to miss one of those, <laughs> get on that mailing list. Uh, you can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD and call us at 503-664-4ADD to get your very voice on this very show. And finally, don't forget, it is still open enrollment season for Nikki's small group coaching at, that begins next month. Uh, so if you haven't done it yet... Get your name on that list uh, if you're looking for some support of a of a wonderful, caring, small group to help you through uh, building your ADHD living systems. This is the place to do it. Uh, and that ends when? When is open enrollment close? It will close, uh, gosh, I think it's like September 1st or 2nd. Coming yeah. right up. Coming right yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, that's what we've got. Okay. Are, are you ready? Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready, but I'm really tired. <laughs> you well maybe you have an excuse today because of your evening webinar yesterday but that's where the excuses end and so uh you know i i, I want to think about I, I approach this by thinking about what are the things we do to ourselves to to help us function better and as it happened we got an email from a wonderful listener katie from san antonio who says that she had taken the summer off from podcasts but got back in the saddle and and binged a little bit on us uh, nice. To catch up on the podcast. I love being binged. <laughs> We're like the Netflix. We're like the Netflix of podcasts. There <laughs> yeah. you go. And uh, and she had written us with a question about sleep. And she says, I'm going to read just a little bit uh, from her uh, her note here. She has definitely come to appreciate the importance of self-care and specifically a good night's rest. Though I'm 47, I become a tall two-year-old without it. Despite this knowing, I have realized that my ideal of eight unbroken hours of sleep each night sometimes eludes me more than I would like to do to due to various 
factors, nighttime worries, medications, hormones, age, a random sound, ADHD, right? Those are those things. She, she says, I know that the simple answer is to try to get better sleep, that, and that's certainly a given. My question centers more around what we can do on days when that just hasn't happened, but we're under pressure to move, even though we feel like we can't lack to a, due to lack of a decent sleep or any kind of self-care for that matter. What would it look like to do our best on days when we feel less than our best? Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, Katie, for writing in with that question. It, it is inspirational. I, it is, and I can totally relate to it. Oh, yes. my. And I'm not kidding. I really am tired. But I, <laughs> I'm going to snap out of it so I can have high energy for the show. That's right. So there's a little bit of pretending going on, uh, Katie. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, I, but I do relate. And I have to tell you just a quick little story about something. Sure. When she was talking about um, random sounds at night. Well, for the longest time, we have this cat and, and she is a Siamese cat. And if anybody out there has Siamese, you will understand that they don't just meow, they howl especially when they want something. And our cat is older. And so whenever she wants anything, she howls in the middle of the night. And this was going on and she would wake me up and then I wouldn't be able to go back to sleep for like an hour, sometimes even longer, because that's when I would start thinking about stuff. And it was just a big, huge mess. So I ended up moving the cat and I put her into the laundry room in the evening and made up a little bed for her and have a litter box in there and food and water and everything. And my kids thought I was just terrible. They were like, I can't believe you're doing this to Ellie. And I'm like, but you don't understand. I can't sleep. I can't sleep with her in my room because she's just so loud. Right. And uh, so I totally get that. It's like I had to actually, you know, move her out because every night I interrupted sleep and it was awful. So I totally get it. Yeah, totally it's terrible. understand. And, and and once you go down that road of having the disruption, the disruption begets more disruption. Suddenly you notice everything. Suddenly you start feeling that daytime anxiety that you hope to shield yourself from while you are asleep. And that becomes really, really hard. I think our approach, though, and this is to Katie, too, that sometimes there's just not much you can do right when you are right. physically physiologically compromised uh you are a zombie and the best you can do the very best you can do is just try to make it tonight again when you can right. go to sleep again sometimes that's just the way it is and and coasting relying on adrenaline or or stimulant stimulants uh, um, will help you coast through doing the best you can do but you need to know what is actually broken when you don't have good sleep. And that's when it, that's where it, it, it came to mind to talk about sleep as a function of studying. And, and when you are trying to integrate new learning, that's where this really has an impact. So uh, there is a, a wonderful uh, study in, uh, that refers to the crippling chain reaction of bad study habits. It leads to poor grades, poor performance at work, and poor health. And uh, the, it, it all starts with sleep. And how mm-hmm. sleep, how researchers are coming to understand that sleep affects learning and memory. Uh, because we know, we know because of how we feel that a lack right. of sleep impairs a person's ability to focus and, and learn, right? I can tell you that when I don't get a good night's sleep, I'm foggy. I, yeah. That's how I describe it. I'm foggy. I'm a zombie, whatever those words are. Um, but, but sleep is necessary to, to make the work that we did yesterday stick so that it can be recalled in the future. 
Now, so what kind of, of memories are we talking about? There, there are three kinds of memories that we're thinking about when we go through our day, right? There's facts and figures, data that you're trying to remember. Maybe it's the names of the capitals of all the states for anybody who still does that. Is that a thing? It uh, is I, in school I, for I like young ones. I yeah. think it's called the internet, I thought. I thought we just skipped skipped learning those kinds of things. Anyway, facts and figures, <laughs> times, tables, those kinds of things. Then there are episodic uh, memories. Those are like bike accidents and your first kiss, right? There are things that happen that are tied to a specific event, uh, a specific episode that are, are non-repetitive generally. And then there are procedural or instructional memories. These are these are memories that go, go, go along with like learning to play the drums or here's a new computer system, a new HR system or finance or planning system system or, or um, you know, things you're learning how to do. Uh, those are procedural or instructional uh, memories. And there are three things that have to happen for memories to stick, right? Number one is acquisition. That's the act of actually taking in the, the new information and putting it in your brain the first time, right? The second is consolidation, that memories have to become stable in the brain so that they can, number three, be recalled later. So acquisition, consolidation, and recall. It's a pretty simple process. Two of those things, number one and three, acquisition and recall, those are things that happen while you're awake, right? You acquire mm-hmm. the information while you're awake, and then you need to recall it while you're awake, unless you're talking in your sleep, and, and that's a whole different thing. Consolidation, however, happens at night while you are sleeping. So if you're working on a big project on uh, one day or a big presentation you need to deliver the next day, it is more important than ever that you get a good night's restful sleep because the work that you do on Thursday will come back and repay you in spades on Friday. You will be able to recall all of the new information, the memories that you that you need to recall when you need to recall them and perform at your best. So to Katie, when you don't get a lot of sleep, know that that function specifically is broken. So what do we learn from that? What do we do about that? Well, sometimes you just have to know, I better not plan anything that is going to require a higher degree of facility with new memories or new projects or new data, stuff that I've been learning over the last week if I'm not functioning at my very best. I better not be called upon to plan the next uh, plan the next community meeting. I better not be called upon to do some of those things. I better work strategically around the deficit of not being able to recall important data. I think it's really interesting. I had no idea. There you go. Here's something new to think about. <laughs> it is. It is. It really is something to think about. Um, because I was thinking when I when I first read her question, I was thinking kind of along the same lines as you in the sense of, okay, well, don't work on anything too complicated or, you know, anything that requires a lot of decisions, you know, because when you're tired, you're not going to always make the, the best decisions, things like that. But this really kind of puts a little bit more science behind it, you know, of why that may be the case. So I, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. Because the thing that we describe as fogginess is often quite specific. Like we, we don't, we actually can't remember something. That's the fog, right? We, we have a sort of abstract descriptor for what is actually a, a, a something that we understand this is this is settling science that we, we understand how this works but here's an interesting thing more recent studies obviously are showing that people who are sleep deprived in addition to to being you know sort of foggy they also have poor reflexes so they're they're physiologically compromised they're not able to respond as quickly to external stimulus so that that green light changes to yellow changes to red you might not be ready for that if you're the next car in line you might be slamming on your brakes a little bit too late you might be at risk in some of these areas because you are sleep deprived but and this this one actually 
hits right home. People that are suffering from lack of sleep are more likely to believe they are right in their opinions when they are factually, categorically wrong. <laughs> Interesting. Right? So when you're sleep deprived, your brain, brain plays <laughs> tricks on you. You become more stubborn. You become more cemented in your belief systems that may actually not align with reality or common culture. I'm not saying what those are, but you may end up looking like a doofus as a, as a result you know if what? you're sleep deprived. It, it also makes sense because when I'm sleep deprived and I'm really tired, I am cranky and I totally like my kids will just get on my nerves. Right. And they'll say something and I'm just like mad. And like, you know, so that kind of has to go with it too, a little bit that, you know, you're, you're just really kind of on edge. I mean, I know it's not really an opinion thing, but it's definitely kind of how you're perceiving their, their behavior. It's probably not as bad as you think it is. Well, for for example, this was, this was the perennial favorite in my house growing up when I was a kid. It was like, Pete, don't sit so close to the TV. Your eyes will, you'll go blind or your eyes will cross or you'll, they'll stick that way. That kind of a thing, right? You get brain damage, you'll get cancer, whatever. There is always something around sitting too close to the TV. There is no science to back that up. That is a stubborn uh, opinion of a sleep deprived, uh, my mother is sleep deprived, you know, too busy and didn't get enough sleep. And when she was at her worst, she would say things like that. Right. And, uh, and so, she believed on. to be true. Yeah, she believed to be true. You just believe yeah. it because it is. We feel that it should be true. Therefore, it should be true. And when you yeah. have better sleep, you are more able to discern uh, what you believe so strongly to be true from uh, actual fact. So what do you do about that? Well, f- frankly, you know, back to Katie from San Antonio, Katie, the simple answer is try to get better sleep. And that is a given. And that's the answer. That is also the the not so simple answer. Of course, right. getting on a regular sleep schedule, going to sleep at the same time every night, waking up at the same time in the, mo- the next morning is really important as it turns out. And in fact, you'll be more efficient. You will be more effective during the day if you can get on a regular sleep schedule. Don't eat too much before bed. Right? Don't eat a big meal very late and then go to sleep. You will sleep more restlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? No caffeine before bed. And and now the, the research is coming out saying it, it used to be for a long time it was like four hours before bed don't have any caffeine. Now they're saying, you know, if you're planning a, a 9 or 10 o'clock uh, uh, bedtime, don't have any caffeine before uh, afternoon. Right? Don't have that co- that lunchtime coffee. Uh, or or your diet coke at four o'clock in the afternoon because that caffeine is still in your system and it will help you it will decrease the odds of you getting a restful sleep. Now it, you're, everybody's different physiologically. You may have a a, a better uh, ability to internalize those stimulants, but uh, and process those stimulants. But generally, you want to be aware the that your intake of caffeine may be impacting your sleep in ways that you can't necessarily feel until you get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and experience what it's what it's like and and generally have a comfortable uh, and dark area to sleep in make your room dark you know well and yeah. isn't it better to have it be cooler than than too hot yeah, too yeah. like i know that if i'll wake up if i'm too hot but if it's um cold it, you don't tend to to wake up as easily right right we're sort of hibernating cooler. When you go to sleep. Yeah. i like to think of it as hibernating you know we don't sleep all uh, for all winter long but we are we're, we're sort of hibernating and processing and slowing down and and keeping it cool is is generally better uh but your comfort may vary so so there you go i mean sleep has a direct impact on memory and the ability 
ability to to acquire and retain and consolidate new information. Don't take study aids, no-dos, energy drinks. You don't want to get to a habit of counting on these kinds of stimulants to, to get yourself through the day. And this is real trouble. If you've been prescribed medication for your ADHD, absolutely do as you will with your doctor's order. But in looking up research around this, uh, this topic, I, I started with a conversation I had with a therapist uh, in, at Vanderbilt uh, who is a, a dear friend of mine, and we talked about some of the things he deals with in his patients who come in, and he was talking about a dramatic increase in the number of parents who are coming into his clinic to work on their uh, drug problem because they started taking their kids' ADHD medication. Uh, supported by a, 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 the Pacific Treatment Services in California, estimates that 15% of parents are addicted to some to the same ADHD drugs as their kids. They start taking it uh, out of their kids' stash of ADHD drugs because they think it'll get them through the day, and they become addicted to it. Beware of that behavior. Beware of it. Uh, you know there are very legitimate reasons to take medication. We've had guests on the show to talk about it. It is a a really good tool to have in your tool bag. But if you're doing it just to get through the day because you're exhausted, you feel like your brain's not working, that will hurt you. So mm-hmm. there you go. Wow, um, interesting. Don't cram when you're trying to learn something new. Start studying early and in small doses. We've talked about this too, but it fits in building strong memories. Don't cram. Don't wait till it's too late. Even if you even if you find you remember the information the next day because you had a good night's sleep, you won't retain it the next week. So you may do great on the test, but you won't actually learn anything, and that's what we're trying to do here. Uh, eat and eat well. Eat proteins and complex carbohydrates and eggs and dark greens and skip the cereal bar in the dorm, please, for the love of everything. <laughs> Kick the, I, this was my thing. I would go to the drive to have four bowls of cereals and eight little tiny jars of juice uh, or, or Coke or whatever they would serve at breakfast. It was terrible, terrible. Skip that stuff. You'll function much better. And also don't eat large meals before you're studying. You want your body to process efficiently, uh, but you don't want to be full. It'll make you sleepy. Yeah. You won't remember as much. And finally, uh, uh, move, uh, the body, uh, body exercises, brain exercise. Uh, it's important to keep yourself and your brain all squishy and healthy. And finally, this squishy. is squishy. Yeah, it's good. This is this is finally this is one that, that stuck out to me. Duke neuroscientist Bill Wilson. He's a director of Duke Learn, and this is a program at Duke that that teaches the practical applications of neuroscience in high schools. Right. So at, at, they're trying to find out if teaching kids about how the brain works from the perspective of neuroscience, whether or not that information will help these same kids perform better in school. Does that make sense? So if learning about the brain helps your brain actually learn. I would think it would. I would think it would too, but this is a study that they're performing to find the answer to that question. And here is what uh, neuroscientist Bill Wilson says. He says, take risks. Adults are always harping on the downside of teenage risk-taking, and it's true that teenagers are more apt than adults to get themselves in trouble with drinking, driving, unsafe sex, to name the biggies. But the fact that the parts of the brain that drive people to try new, risky, and exciting things appear to be more developed in teenagers can be a huge plus. Pick appropriate challenges, difficult sports, a tough job, mastering a performance art, traveling overseas, and the teenage brain is uniquely primed to tackle them. You have this power you're given to go out and do it without fear. Now, I say that as an adult, uh, that 
I feel like in many ways I have forgotten how to do this, to take bigger risks, to try new things. And I think it's good for uh, for elasticity of the brain that we kind of challenge ourselves to do some new things. So that that's all it, that I want to say about that. Um, it's I think it's good to know. And if you are going into college, it's now is a good time to take risks. But even as an adult, don't forget that it's it's good for you. Wow, interesting. Fascinating stuff, right? This all sets the stage for a couple of recommendations of apps that I want to share with you that have helped me as an adult. I I have discovered these two apps as an adult. I did not use them as a child because that was a long time ago. That was not a There were no apps. Then. That was not a thing. <laughs> uh, but these are things I use even to this day. And I realized I, I searched our website and I can't find that I have talked about them before. The first one is for everybody, students, adults, everybody trying to learn new things. It is called Quizlet. Have you ever heard of Quizlet? No, there is a there is just a a large body of apps and services designed to allow you to create like online flashcards, like flashcard building tools. Oh, Quizlet is just delightful. Um, It is it was introduced to me by a programmer friend of mine who actually learns new programming skills. Uh, He actually studied symbolic logic using Quizlet. He built uh, a set of flashcards. Uh, and studied them, and then Quizlet, the app on his on his iPhone, allowed him to it reminded him when to study these flashcards. So he built a, a set of a hundred flashcards about these concepts and symbols and symbolic logic. And every time his his phone would say, "Hey, study this," he would turn it on, and Quizlet would quiz him on these these set of flashcards. And as he got the answers right or wrong. Quizlet would keep track of his performance. The next time Quizlet uh, reminds him to study, it gives him the things that he needs to remember uh, in a way that he is most equipped to remember them. It's adaptive. It helps you study through smart repetition. It's really intelligent. It knows what you know and don't know by when you are and how you are studying it. So you might only get the the thing that you know. You'll only hear, see that that question once a week. Stuff that you don't know will be peppered in two or three times a week, or four times a week, or a couple of times a day if you're really getting it wrong repeatedly. So it helps you act not just review the information, but review it in a way that is a tuned to your brain. Interesting. So interesting. So what if you see it though? Like what if it pops up and then can you ignore it or not? Like the reminder to study? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. And so it it pops up on your screen and it says, Hey, it's time to study. We want to send you this notification. It's a system notification. If you know, you have to learn something, then you're going to say, oh, okay, I want to, okay. I'm going to study through this thing. Yeah, quick. I'm going to look yeah. at it. If you are averse to studying, this is not a good do- good tool for you because you're going to ignore the notification. You're never going to study. So this is for anybody who needs knows they need to learn something new and wants to review concepts around it. Now, what I love so much about Quizlet is that uh, y- you can really study anything. They have a large directory of these sets that people have created that they've put into this giant online catalog that you can add to your own account. For example, I studied the certified professional photographer uh, 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 exam questions uh, through Quizlet. And that was a set of, of flashcards that other people have created and adapted and updated for their own needs and left online. I added it to my account. I updated it for my needs. I changed the wording of the questions so that I would understand it. I added new questions, and then it it was created out in the public so other people can then uh, can then uh, leverage 
that experience and add it to their account and start studying these facts. It's really powerful. Even better, many sets are available around school system textbooks, vocabulary that is tied up to common core so that you can study your your language appropriate or grade appropriate language skills. Um, And so it it is a fantastic, in addition to just being a generic learning tool for anybody, adults and kids alike, it's a great academic t- tool because so there has been a large investment of professionals, academics, educators building sets in Quizlet to help you learn important topics. It is free, and there is a pro plan available for nineteen ninety nine a year that adds some extra measurement tools. It's a, it's a really valuable service, Quizlet. Uh, it, it's it's great. You need to check it out. So that's that's the first that I want to um, that I want to recommend. The second is called iStudies Pro, and it's iStudies, S-T-U-D-I-E-Z, Pro. Now, this one is for students, high school and college primarily. This is a tool that allows you to really, as they say, take charge of your education. It, it is a, a single app available uh, cross-platform that ties your uh, it ties all your homework, all your course schedule, all your tasks, and even your ongoing grade point average in one app and reminds you not just where you have to be, but what you have to do and when you have to do it uh, in your course of study. It was recommended to me by one of my students uh, who said who had uh, suggested that it might be useful to other students that I have, but he is a, a student who graduated and still uses iStudies Pro to organize his work around his meetings and tasks that he needs to use needs to deliver uh, at work. Uh, and so it is uh, apparently quite an addictive app. Once you get used to it, it syncs with all of your uh, appropriate reminder and calendar systems. I invite you to check it out. It comes highly recommended from students. Uh, at iStudentPro.com. Check that out. There you Pretty go. That's cool. what I have. Some thoughts, I like it. thoughts on health and two great apps. That's how I want to wrap it up today. Any questions? How'd I do? I think you did great. Excellent. I learned, I learned something new. Excellent. I like hearing that. Mm-hmm. Well done, everybody. Good Thank luck. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. This is this was a fun one to think about and talk about. And uh, so I, I hope people got something... Uh, useful out of that students and grown-ups alike there you go there you go everybody on behalf of nikki kinzer i'm pete wright and we will catch you next week right here on taking control the adhd podcast